Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kelly Barner here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's uh, live stream. Uh, Kelly, how you doing? I'm doing good. Happy Monday. <laughs> it's like you're doing a, uh, and here we are. I know, uh, jazz hands. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wait a minute, Kelly. Let's ask that question again. How you doing? <laughs> Wicked good, Greg. Thank you. Uh, there we go. There <laughs> we go. Just already complete. There you go. Dose of Boston, vitamin B. <laughs> well, and Greg, how are you doing today? I feel quite well, thank you. And uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. Chiefs let us down, but go blue. Michigan won and Georgia won. So, And the two teams that I thought final. Sorry, not that this this doesn't affect my mood, but I think I am relaying a lot of football fans' um, <clears throat> uh, feelings when I say that the two teams that I think most of us thought were the weakest in the top four of the CFP both lost, though one of them still got in, TCU and USC. Right. Well, you know, all I can say is I look forward to when it's an eight or or twelve team playoff. Well, next year. Twelve. Is it gonna be twelve next year? Really? Next year? I thought it was gonna be two years. Okay, that's a great uh, holiday gift. So that's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be one of the best sporting events of all year. So, um, and Kelly, Kelly B, uh, your quick analysis on the college football playoff. Believe it or not, I have a comment on this. I married into a Penn State cult slash family. Yeah. So <laughs> I do understand that next year. The Rose Bowl is no longer Big Ten and Pac-12. It's going to be part of the bracket system. And Penn State is going this year. So they're getting to play in the last one of those sort of traditional matchup things. So they did get it. So who are they playing then? Is it SC? Uh, (laughs) Too much detail. Somebody else. (laughs) Not Ohio State. I know that. (laughs) Join us at 11 for the full story. Nobody from the Pac-12 is going to beat Penn State. So it doesn't really matter. And Kelly, only kidding. Uh, I've always enjoyed how you're a a proud non-football and other sports fan. We should give the NASCAR update, though, right? And NASCAR season, is that right around the corner or is that? Yeah, so usually NASCAR starts right back up around Valentine's Day. They have the, I think they call them the duels now. Used to be the shootout Budweiser. Now it's it's like a pre-season race kind of thing, which is fun. And then there's, of course, opening weekend, but usually it falls right around Valentine's Day. So this is kind of the uh, the brief couple of months during the year when all the NASCAR families try to time having their babies um, and, <laughs> and, then, and then romantically just in time for Valentine's Day. Can't tell you how many Valentine's Day dinners I've had either watching Talladega Nights, the Jewels or the opening race of the season. Love it. OK. Any of those are good. Also, yeah. I we we had a discussion over the weekend for some reason about Days of Thunder. So I don't know if you all know this, but Clay the Diesel, our um, oh yeah, that's right, it was Friday in, okay. in Phoenix, has never seen Days of Thunder. So I hope he took seriously. The to watch it this oh, that's important. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that we've uh, we've doubled down on the sports front end here of the supply chain buzz, we got to get down to news of what's going on across global business because it is the supply chain buzz powered today by our dear friends at Six River Systems. So we're going to be talking about some of the leading stories uh, that are going on across global business. Got a variety of, of topics here today, and of course Kelly Barner, Greg, Greg White, and I uh, here ready to get in trouble to get into it. So. Um, where I want to start, though, Greg and Kelly, yes, Scott, is I want to share our um, with that said, which is our weekly uh, LinkedIn newsletter that went out over the weekend. So we just surpassed eighteen thousand subscribers, right? We've we've accomplished that probably about two months. Uh, but um, thank you all for leaning into this uh, kind of off the beaten path uh, content from the whole supply chain now family team. And and with that said, no pun intended. We really celebrated many of our subscribers and listeners. So uh, check out the pseudo Norman Rockwell uh, painting there, Greg and Kelly. Is that pretty cool or what? Is that Kim Winter? Do you guys see him? <laughs> What's that? I swear that looks like Kim Winter. <laughs> I don't want to point. It's not going to help you. Who I immediately locked on was uh, Jason. Um, I think kind of right there in the middle. Okay. Um, imperative entertainment. I mean, with the streak in his with, hair. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that he has the streak, but definitely the face shape and the goatee. Yeah. Well, <laughs> check this out. We really we pointed pointed out a lot of folks kind of in the crowd. You know, folks. Oh, I that, see Kim uh, Winter. I see who you see as Kim Winter. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go um, ahead, Scott. That's okay. Well, check. Drop the link in the chat. Uh, we'd love for y'all to weigh in. Uh, let us know what your take is. Uh, all the things we 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 also uh, mentioned. Uh, Greg and Kelly, some of their most recent commentary and analysis. So y'all check that out. Uh, along the same lines, and we're gonna say hello to a few folks here in just a second. Um, our leveraging logistics for Ukraine project. Uh, the next meeting. Right, really, uh, the operations meeting is December 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. That is a week from tomorrow. Uh, folks, I'll tell you what, they have truly been moving mountains with this uh, humanitarian aid-focused uh, um, uh, project initiative. Over 500,000 pounds of targeted aid has made it to Ukraine, Poland, and elsewhere. So join in next week. Even if you're not in position to give or donate anything, join in uh to gather the market intel and get a sense of what's going on and how you can help. Uh, so maybe you can then go back and, and rally the troops and find a good way to contribute. So next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Greg, your quick thoughts here. It is truly moving mountains, mountains of, of goods and materials for folks uh, over there who are still going through this. We don't hear about it as much. Um, although I did hear that, uh, the leader of Russia may have taken a tumble and soiled himself over the weekend, which is really kind of funny, but um, yeah, <clears throat> couldn't happen to a nicer fellow, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's still an important initiative and it makes me think we probably ought to, Scott, did you get a specific um, update? Did you join the latest call? I don't know. I'm I haven't, but we're going to get um, shipments out there. Yeah, there's a much bigger number than the 500,000 um, pounds that I, I shared earlier. So we'll see if we can't get that update on Tuesday. But uh, Kelly, these are kind of do good initiatives that uh, that you know the global supply chain community should feel good good about, right? Oh, absolutely. And just the vector team's commitment. I know they're sort of spearheading the effort. There's a lot of other people involved. You know, you always go through that initial burst of enthusiasm, and then everybody kind of goes back to their day job. Right. These guys have stuck it 
out, right? And it's gone through multiple phases and evolutions, but they are still there doing the work that needs to be done. Agreed. Well said there. Um, okay. So y'all get involved with we'll drop a link in the, in the comments, uh, whether it is the newsletter on a much lighter note or, um, you know, that leveraging logistics for Ukraine where we could use everybody's help there. Um, saying hello to a few folks, uh, Catherine behind the scenes, big thanks to Catherine, Chantel, Amanda, and Clay. Good morning. Good afternoon. Happy buzz day. It's typical what Catherine or Clay shares here. Uh, Shelly Phillips, the one and only says good morning. Now, Greg and, uh, Kelly, Shelly brings it every time. I mean, if you're not tracking her comments on these conversations, you're missing out, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, See, I'm going to skip over some of these comments that, that folks are dropping in the in the chat. Hey, some things are out of our control from time to time, right? But hey, look forward to your contributions throughout the next hour as we tackle some of the most important news taking place across global business. Okay, Greg and Kelly, are y'all ready to dive into the first news item for today? Ready? Mm, yeah. Got your <laughs> seatbelt is buckled, <laughs> ready to go. So we're going to start. And Greg, as I mentioned, I've got to find it's right here somewhere. I've got my fire extinguisher here for your comments here on the, on the front story. But we're going to talk about China. And Kelly, tell us about how China has been dodging tariffs on solar panels as of late. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so this is an interesting example of any of these, whether it's a supply chain complexity or manufacturing complexity, when you simply think that regulation will fix it, think again. Um, so China actually comes into play in this in two different places in the article. One is that we all know as part of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which took effect earlier this year, it was Xinjiang, that part of China where the Uyghurs live, where most of the materials for making solar panels came from. And now in order to export from there, you have to whitelist prove that forced labor was not used. Mm. So now that supply is sort of off limits. Now, the rest of China has tariffs placed against it by the U.S. They're trying to create an opportunity for U.S. manufacturing to catch up. But these things take time. And because the tariff on products coming directly from China is a slim 254%, it has created an incentive for companies to actually route their goods through four different Southeast Asia countries it's uh, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, and Malaysia. They're rooting the goods through those, doing just enough final assembly there to try to position it as being from those countries. That is not counting. And it's U.S. manufacturers that are actually bringing this to the attention right. of the federal government and saying, and so what are you going to do about it? So uh, interesting story about trying to stop bad things from happening in multiple places and actually incentivizing new and different bad things. Mm. Well said, Kelly. Greg, your thoughts here? Well, I mean, in a way, this is not new. When, even when the tariffs were uh, imposed on China, what American companies were doing was simply landing the goods in Mexico or yeah. or uh, Canada. And sorry, I forgot about Canada. Um, and 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 then that uh, dissolved the need for the tariff or the ability for the tariff to apply, and they would just drop it in Vancouver and bring it over to um, Washington or you know Mexico into California or wherever. And uh, I think what this really highlights is that we need to be thinking about the intent first, and then the execution methodology methodology next, because 
when particularly politicians are too prescriptive with what they what they want to have happen, not the outcome that they desire. They get way too specific because they're lawyers. They get way too specific and they wind up, as Kelly is talking about, opening new misdeeds by by confronting old misdeeds. Mm. Well, you know, uh, as one of the things Kelly and kind of implied there, according to Wall Street Journal, which is where we had, uh, y'all check out the article. That's what uh, a lot of our conversations based around here today. I think links in the, in the chat. Uh, according to Wall Street Journal, several thousands of shipping containers full of solar panels have been stuck in a variety of ports mm -hmm. detained by U.S. Customs. Now, that has backed up 23, get this, I am not, I'm having to learn these new prefacing, but 23 gigawatts worth of big solar projects have been delayed. Now, that number, 23 gigawatts, is two times uh, the size of all a gigawattage that was installed in 2023, 2021, rather. So, that is a huge. So, you know, on one hand, is it slowing some good projects down that, um, you know, could lead to maybe more efficient, greener and cheaper power? Sure. But to the ends that Greg and Kelly, you're both speaking to, is it um, uh, preventing bad actors from doing more bad deeds? Right. Absolutely. I mean, so um, we'll see how this. So. I really don't think it's preventing it because I, I think what we have to acknowledge here. I know you want me to flame China. Here, which I would happily do if it weren't for the fact that it is American companies importing these yeah. solar panels from China. They may be built in China, but China is not over here buying their own solar panels and, and bringing them in. We're right. doing this to ourselves, right? Sure. But, but I'm saying with them detaining, this is a sign of the legislation and of the, uh, the policies enacted in the last six, eight months of it starting to at least uh, bring to visibility um, what um, is giving some bite to all the talk? Uh, it's not. Is it solving everything? Absolutely not. But at least it's, it's giving some bite to the talk of, of clamping down yeah, and controlling. True. Right, um, Kelly. Your quick thoughts. I think the thing that makes this so extra fascinating is that we're not talking about shoes or tires or cars or steel. We're talking about okay, which is more important to you? Moving forward with green renewable energy or human rights abuses. Right. Mm. Or, or punishing geopolitical bad actors. It it creates this really hard question that regulators as well as companies are going to have to figure out and consumers are going to get their opportunity to weigh in as well. So I love the complexity of this kind of story. It, well, it, it is a direct conflict within ESG. E for yes, environmental, S for social justice, right? So, so pick E or S in this case. Right. And then you have the governance, which is the law, which is attempting to work. Uh, right. But it's it's not as simple as it sounds. ESG sounds lovely, right? But the execution is where it gets complicated. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, a lot of good thoughts there, Greg and Kelly. Thank you very much. And we'll keep our finger on the pulse of the story as it continues um, to play out, not just in, in the solar panel arena, but many, many others. Um, all right. So moving right along, and by the way, uh, hello, Kim Winter. Uh, his ears may have been burning, uh, Greg and Kelly. put up that picture and see if he yeah. can pick who he is. Find yourself in the picture, Kim. Yeah, I'll revisit Find that. Find Kim. Um, uh, Shelly Phillips, hope she can live up to the hype. We were talking <laughs> on, the, on the front end. Of, I know you can, uh, Shelly. Hey, Leah Luton uh, from Aiken, South Carolina. Hey, Mom. I uh, appreciate it. She always enjoys That might be a little bit. Uh, partisan. She may have uh, some rose-colored glasses on, but regardless, great to have you here as always. And 
Speaking of, Shelly says, hey, are there any solar panels that do not involve? Um, so, yes, there are. And, there and I meant the, the other fact to what I didn't share um, is about 80 percent of yeah. all solar panels here in the States come from either China or uh, other Asian countries. And, and of course, Madame, uh, the predominantly from China. So even my simple mathematical ability would tell me that at least 20 percent of all solar panels used in the States don't come from these uh, oppressed regions. Right. Kelly and Greg, does that uh, is my walking around math sound good? It does States. sound good. Yeah. yeah. But the cost it, is very different as well. It used to be a hundred percent by the way, that, that the companies that make solar panels in the U.S. offshored to China with the intent of saving costs to do that. So it's not, I mean, China didn't exactly volunteer to do this, right? right. And, and those same companies are now the same companies waiting for those 2,000 gigawatts of, of solar panels um, to come in from China because all they, all they do is label them. That's almost enough energy to time travel. Was it... 1.21? Gig, gigawatts. Was it 1.6? Okay. Yeah, I think so. So we need those solar panels. Uh, yes. <laughs> Catherine, maybe Catherine can do a little research on Back to the Future and see what it was. <laughs> it was precisely X number of miles an hour. I think it was 77. But oh, okay. Now I'm with y'all. <laughs> gigawatts, which caused time travel in the DeLorean. Okay. Because nobody yeah. knew the word gig yet. Somebody should have traveled back in time in the DeLorean and made it a better car. And then there wouldn't be all these problems. <laughs> Which, by the way, there's some fascinating documentaries on the whole DeLorean story on Netflix and then Hulu and elsewhere. So y'all check that out. Um, really quick aside too, uh, Greg, uh, yes, for Scott. us in the Atlanta area, I remembered, and I, I'm separating this completely from uh, the Uyghur issue. Um, however, to your point, there was a, a company, a startup that's, that started at Georgia Tech uh, called Suniva, and it grew rapidly into a really um, a big organization here in the metro Atlanta area. And then, to your point, they pushed all production of this very, as I recall, right, of this very innovative solar cell technology to um, at least Asia. I think they sent it to China, but at least Asia. So that's that's part of why we're here. Uh, right, Greg and Kelly. And um, so, in, but nevertheless, back on that first story, it's good to see um, some of these things, some of these shipments being stopped and hopefully it'll, the ripple effect will continue moving up to a more uh, proactive and preventative um, aspects. So we'll see. Um, all right. So we ready to keep driving. That first story generated so much discussion. Uh, uh, we could make the whole hour perhaps, but let's move to the second story because it's, it's a fascinating one as well with with uh, some themes mm. that are tied into what, some of the things we're seeing here in the U.S. So uh, NPR and the AP are reporting that South Koreans are taken to the streets in protest, but in support of the trucking community there. Kelly, what's going on here? Well, this is interesting. So you would be forgiven if you might think we were looking at an old article because this also happened in May and June of this year. Uh, there's different groups of truck drivers, different unions and different types of specialized drivers within South Korea. Um, the current strike that's ongoing happens to involve the cement drivers, um, but there's a possibility that it's going to spill over to fuel tanker drivers. And really, it's coming down to a lack of ability to amicably settle debates that have come up in the past. When the pandemic hit, South Korea put in place 
basically minimum freight costs to ensure that not only would the drivers be able to make ends meet with costs going up, but that they wouldn't be incentivized to do unsafe driving practices and lead to actually social damage and property damage um, in order to, again, make ends meet. They did manage to initially settle things, but it has recently boiled back over. Um, and now the government is taking steps to force the drivers back to work. Um, 5,000 people showed up to protest in South Korea on Saturday. So it was definitely making headlines, even in terms of the numbers. Um, and of course, earlier in the year, we saw the Canadian truckers. Uh, as I had commented on Dial P back then, I did think the Canadians' protest looked more fun. Uh, the South Korean protest was very disciplined. They were very yes. quiet and sitting in the streets. But if I had to pick a protest to attend, I would probably go to Canada just, you know, if I was there purely for entertainment value. Um, but just because they have a distributed job does not mean that they cannot come together both through formal unions and also through simply coming together in terms of numbers to make their cause heard. All right. So, Greg, beyond weighing in of what's a more fun protest between uh, <laughs> South Korean and Canadian protests, weigh in on the story here. Well, I think we can, um, you know, considering South Korea's very recent um, collective group uh, catastrophe, I would prefer that they somehow stay home and protest. Um, but if it's only 5,000 people, it's not nearly as dangerous as whatever holiday they were celebrating when all those yes. people got injured and killed. But, mm. um, but I, I think the, you know, the important thing is that <laughs> this all stems from government intervention. We keep, we keep talking about disruption in supply chain and how disruption is so much greater than it's ever been. And virtually every single one of those significant disruptions. Now one admittedly, one of those, disruptions at least one of those disruptions was absolutely necessary the you know the seismic societal disruption of shutting down the entirety of society while the pandemic while we tried to you know resolve the pandemic but all of those actions since have continued to exacerbate the problem by in some way motivating people to not work or not work for the going wage at the time of you know at the time that they institute these things and it, it really enunciates, and I think this is important, it really enunciates how labor-intensive supply chain is. I mean, frankly, every business, their biggest cost is labor. But I think it's easy to believe that supply chain is becoming automated and autonomous and technology-driven. It is technology-enabled, but it is still definitely human-driven. And um, we're going to continue to have these disruptions as long as, I mean, this is not unlike the topic we were just discussing. Yeah. Government does this to solve this topic expeditiously to get themselves back on the top of the polls to, to appear popular again. And later, the, you know, the unintended, unintended, unintended consequences of their short-sighted actions mm -hmm. create yet another crisis. So... You know, I think we, we have to be careful. We never will, but we have to be careful to um, not ask for too much intervention from government on these things. And we're going to talk about yet another intervention from government in very short order. Well, probably right on the back of this, aren't we? That's, that is 
um, has the potential for dire consequences down the road. Well, we are. But first, I want to get this comment in from Shelly. Shelly says, I could not take my eyes off on the ground phone videos during the Canadian trucker strike. Kelly, sure, it did look like a lot of fun. Hockey games and cleaning up the streets. If there's another uh, one, Shelly, you and I are going. We'll do some on the ground right. reporting. But to Greg and and to the, the segue we do want to make here, Shelly's spot on. Shelly, you're, you're really vibing See? today. Good man. We knew we the could Korean, count on you. Everybody sees it coming, don't they? The Koreans sound like shades of how our rail situation might go. So on that note, government inter- intervention and all. See, Kelly, she's, by the way, let's give credit where credit is due. We, I mean, we put the high bar out there and Shelly left right over it. So uh, agreed. Um, Kelly, you've been doing a ton of reporting on the railroad industry situation. Uh, and just when folks may think that that uh, um, tragedy and stoppage could be averted, mm-hmm. that may not be the case. Kelly, tell us more. Sure. And, and actually, Greg, this is an excellent opportunity to bring in a little bit more Boston accent. Labor Secretary Matty Walsh uh, from Boston directly to D.C. Um, he was the one that originally headed off the rail strike back in September. Uh, then the union started voting because the membership has to weigh in. It's not just the labor representatives negotiating with the railways. Right. And four of the largest unions actually voted to reject the deal that was on the table. Uh, so we got through midterms, right? And then it sort of started to pop back up as these votes were going against approving the deal. And the most recent thing that took place, which was something that nobody wanted, was Congress got involved. They put a bill on the president's desk. He signed it on Friday, which actually makes it illegal now for the railway workers to strike. So they are being forced to accept the deal on the table. And the interesting thing about this, I think, does come into the larger, I mean, it's a little bit, the S and ESG, it's sort of the larger labor conversation. They've been given enormous pay raises. And so I've heard a lot of people make the comment, how can you complain? You're getting 24% pay raises. Some of it's backdated. But what they really want, this is a quality of life issue. It is very difficult to get days off. Mm -hmm. partially because the rail workforce is so much smaller than it was just a few years ago. And they really don't have the headcount to allow people to take time off. And so what workers are saying is, you can pay us all the money in the world. But if we have to choose between one story I read, the worker had to choose between his son's birthday and having necessary dental work done. And so he made the decision to go with the birthday. And by the time he had enough time off to get the dental work done, the tooth could no longer be repaired and it actually had to be pulled. So this, this you know, it's easy for people in a, a nine to five with sick time and paid leave and Family Medical Leave Act and all those kinds of things to forget that there are still people out there working today that play essential roles within society that simply can't take the time off that we actually don't think a whole lot about doing in in other roles where we do have access to that kind of flexibility. Excellent point. Uh, Kelly, I'll get you the comment here, uh, Greg, in just a second. But, you know, we're trying to get an interview with an engineer from the railroad industry to really give kind of that take. So stay tuned on that. And then, of course, that archaic law from uh, our archaic law clause is old from 1926. That's right. Right. That's the law they're leveraging to, to, in, to prevent a strike potentially from taking place. But, Greg, weigh in on what Kelly just shared there. Well, I mean, it's um, it's an archaic, an old law, but it's still the law. Right. The Constitution also is still the law from 1776. So. Um, I think we have to 
Actually, it wasn't 1776. I was going to go with it, Greg. I was going with yeah, it, man. It's 1787. Thanks for letting me have that. Uh, but um, it's, you know, I think what we have to recognize is that, again, this is um, expeditious um, ness mm-hmm. being performed by politicians to give the perception of, um, of a solution and to. To Shelley's point earlier, you know what what she said was, why can they not see these unintended consequences coming? It's because they don't look that far, and that's not their fault. Yeah. That's our fault. They know that our collective memory is very, very short, weeks if not less. I mean, think about you've probably seen television shows where they talk about the news cycle, right? If if something doesn't say stay substantially in the press for two weeks. We Americans collectively, we don't care about it. So Mm. they know that they can do this incremental thing and look good. And when and when the consequences come, they'll deal with those because we won't remember that this stemmed from that. We talked earlier, we don't even discuss the war in Ukraine anymore. Mm, It is literally a war going on in our world, in our lifetime. And, oh, you know, past June. Right. And it, it falls from the headlines. It's terrible. Well, and that's, of course, what bad actors are counting on. I was reading over the weekend, again, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I, hey, I'm, I am an unabashed fan of their reporting. Uh, but how grain shipments through the captured ports and through other ports within the Russian network, they're being mislabeled so they can get in and out of, of these ports without true origins mm-hmm. uh, coming from Ukraine being identified. And the levels, the sheer levels of activity uh, I'm trying to remember the number. I think more more grain will have been under these this guys will have been moved this year than like in the last like seven years or something. It's ridiculous when everything was above board. So it is. It's to your both of your points. It's it's um, shameful. Shame on us for you know having goldfish um, yeah. attention spans. But TikTok is what Shelly just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Where you can learn about a topic from someone who just read a Wikipedia page five minutes ago. <laughs> But the good news is there are plenty of ways to take action and don't have your um, your attention and priorities be driven by um, by media. So y'all check out such as uh, our leveraging logistics for Ukraine initiative. Okay, for the sake of time, I want to move on because I want to hit on uh, Greg and Ke- and by the way, Greg and Kelly, thank you all for the update. That's an ongoing ongoing story on that that uh, has developments across a number of different levels, and we look forward to. Um, to more interviews around the railroad industry, but I want to do I want to do this. So Six River Systems, of course, uh, our friends and sponsors of today's episode, they've got a a couple of resources we want to share with folks because we know what's coming, right? When here in December we've got holiday gift buying. It's, it's you know it already it's already begun for the last couple months. It's probably reached a crescendo, I imagine, in December. Um, but then Greg and Kelly, the tidal wave of returns, right? And we do a lot of work around reverse logistics Mm -hmm. and returns management. It's a great white paper from our friends at Six River Systems, optimizing your returns management process. So we encourage you all to check that out. We've got a link in the chat. And then also, uh, Greg and Kelly, I don't know about y'all. I'm a big sucker for a good business use case or case study. There's lots of those from a variety of different industries from our friends at Six River Systems. We will see some of their solutions deployed a number of different ways ranging from GXO to Legend Valve, Incrum Micro, top-notch distributors, and many, many more. So y'all check that out. And if you think you're too unique, 
Greg and Kelly, if you think you may, your business may just be too unique for automation and robotics. Hey, <laughs> you're not that special. Check it out. Check out some of the stories out there. You know, uh, it's kidding. funny you say that, Scott, because having done thousands, literally thousands of technology implementations, what I know is that every company is different in mm. exactly the same way. <laughs> <laughs> We used to say that all the time. Um, Look, there are only a certain number of ways to do business. Often those things that are are unique or specific to your organization are because of a particular strength. Or in my experience, it's been more likely a weakness within your organization for which you are compensating. And and I think um, having seen you know, a lot of technology implementation where there is a ton of labor involved and also seeing completely lights out, for instance, distribution centers in one of my favorite businesses, Wine and Spirits. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to worry that someone has touched your your 1962 Chateau Neuf de Pop or whatever the heck that's. Wow. <laughs> it was never touched by human hands. And I can verify that because I watched it happen. So look, there is always some level of there's always some level of automation that is applicable here. First and secondly, Chuck, right? What can personify it more than a robot named Chuck? So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So look at this. If you're an Office fan, so in some of these sites where Six River Systems deploy their uh, their technology, their teams, um, the the client teams, I guess for lack of a better phrase, will yeah. name each robot. Well, this one's name is Dwight. And I love that. So if you're an office fan, maybe they've got Michael and and Jim and and and, and many others. But I think that's pretty cool. So if you anger that one, it shuns you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can argue about the the mightiest bear with uh, the with that one or uh, Battlestar Galactica or Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kelly, we we've talked a lot um, here in just the last few minutes about automation and different you know, unique nuances of different business models. Anything you want to add before we move to the next story related to food? Just that you should never underestimate the work and trust that goes into a making a case study possible. I obviously come to that from a writer's standpoint, but doing that, the interviews, getting, yeah. right? getting a customer that is willing to speak on your behalf and let their story go out there and their name go out there. You can't have a case study if you don't admit that you started in a less than perfect place in order yeah. to get the benefits that you're talking about. So that's just generally speaking, a great sign of good relationships if you have a solid bank of case studies. Yeah, well, there were what, eight or nine there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. And that, that, I think I just... That's just page one, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, I never yeah. thought about that vulnerability, uh, Kelly, that, that businesses have to open themselves up to, yeah. to in order to put together a really compelling business case. And hey, that is free advice from the Ann Rice of Global Business, which is with us today, Kelly Barner. Um, Okay, so let's move right along. I've got this next uh, story teed up here. This was an interesting one. We had a little fun on social. I know Greg was traveling, meeting all the uh, supply chain movers and makers last week, movers and shakers, rather. Um, This one was interesting. We're talking about a lettuce shortage and how that's impacting at least one of everyone's, and I mean everyone's, favorite chicken sandwich makers. So, Greg, tell us more here. Well, you know, the, um, we predicted this and we heard about this many, many months ago that crops all over the world were either being, um, they were underperforming or being decimated by 
various things, weather or or conflict or whatever, right? This all sort of started with the discussion around wheat in Russia and Ukraine, and then it evolved into the discussion around produce elsewhere around the world. And of course, this time of year in North America, we get almost all of our produce from outside the United States. Guess why? It's winter. <laughs> so we get it from the Southern Hemisphere, very often South America in, in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico. Um, because it's winter south of us in in South America, so um, it's a very very difficult thing that to manage. The recognition that the crops were going to be producing short or have various and sundry other issues was known, of course, last spring when the planning started, um, and you know, or the or the cultivation and harvesting sort of you know got underway, but. We've known about this, and now this is coming home home to roost, and um, it's hit two of the biggest chains, and many, many more. We've heard I, we heard about uh, if you look at that commentary, we heard about that as well. So somebody had a story about Wendy's. Um, obviously, Chick Fil A, which has one of the most efficient supply chains in the world, but especially in the restaurant business, I don't know much about Subway and their supply chain. Somebody that I know said Subway and Chick-fil-A should not even be mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> um, and I would argue that that's true on a lot of fronts, supply chain, quality of food, right? Just generally cool looking buildings, stuff like that. So it, it is a real problem. I, I'll let Kelly sell, tell her part, but I do actually have a wee bit of good news on that front. So Kelly, I'm going to come to you next, but I got to get, I got to share this from Tom. Let us hope this gets resolved soon. Um, I would also add. Thank you, and, Tom. <laughs> and Tom, hope, hope this finds you well wherever you are. Great to have you here. I would say, hey, we got to turn up oh. the pressure on these firms to beat expectations. It may take <laughs> lots of cabbage, but let us hope they win. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Tom, I will never forgive you for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Kelly. It's Dad Joke Monday here on uh, December 5th. Uh, Kelly, your take on this story about uh, a lettuce crunch. Well, maybe I missed this detail in the article, but I feel like in order to get, I don't know, appropriately worked up about this, I need to know what kind of lettuce. So is it all like there was a picture of iceberg, but then is it romaine? Because I think of romaine lettuce as being what comes on a Chick-fil-A like grilled chicken sandwich. What is is it all lettuce? Is romaine what's on it? I I never no, never no, heard no. Of it. It's uh, not. Well, so let me back up for a second. So, for most Subway sandwiches, you know what? I had no idea. Let's. Get, I, I don't eat romaine lettuce on sandwiches. I know that there are certain um, sandwiches out there that that calls for. So, Kelly, I don't know. That's a great question because there's all sorts of different kinds of lettuce. lettuce. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Boston lettuce. I feel different levels of emotional connection to different kinds of lettuce. And that's going to determine how upset I get or not about this being missing. Like, for instance, I love a wedge salad. I mean, it barely even counts as salad. It's not good for you. It's got bacon and blue cheese on it. But is there anything more satisfying than a wedge salad? Catherine is confirming via her research that it is romaine lettuce. But see, do you know why Catherine knows this? Because Catherine and I both have to eat gluten-free. The Uh, gluten-free Chick-fil-A grilled chicken, whatever sandwich comes in this funny little tub with a slice of tomato and a piece of lettuce that just doesn't seem like iceberg. So that's why, that's why Catherine and I both know it's romaine. Well, 
but Subway does use iceberg right. lettuce. So, I mean, it could, it's possible it's both. It could yeah. be. That's a really good question, Kelly. That is my hunch. I need to know. Um, Inquiring minds want to know about the lettuce right. details. I, um, I like, Scott, I like your mom's take. <laughs> if it includes kale. <laughs> well, this is now this is uh not to get too far off topic but mom and i were talking about kale salad over the weekend and we're, we're me and amanda are big fans in fact amanda converted me amanda makes his homemade dressing kale i could eat kale salad every day mom not a fan so we got a little conversion there to do but uh, so she's she, for any of our listeners that aren't seeing this uh, mom says a shortage of kale is fine by her leah Luna, um, stand your ground <laughs> not convert. Um, uh, well, hey, let me let me give you a little bit of of hope here. Okay. So, um, at the risk of Dr. Rumpenza, Rhonda Rumpenza Zimmerman getting really really angry at me for being in Phoenix Uh-oh. and not saying hi, I want to first qualify by saying I was there less than twenty four hours. I was able to go to an In and Out Burger and have a double double with cheese mm-hmm. and lettuce. No questions asked. No extra charge as the article talks about and um, you know, no notification that they were short in any way. So was it iceberg lettuce, it was iceberg lettuce. Yes. Okay. okay. So um, I, I'm not a huge fan of lettuce. It's all, it's only the rare sandwich that I eat lettuce on anyway. So okay, it, I could, I could care less frankly about <laughs> lettuce, but this is part of a bigger issue. And that is we will pro- we will start to see this and the article talks about this a little bit. We'll start to see this with other produce in the in the coming months. That's right. All right. So now that we've all had a lot of fun and become more informed and and educated, and that's right. And some questions asked uh, that both of y'all are referring to. Let's say, uh, Kawan. Yes, we're all here. Welcome, welcome <laughs> from Iraq uh, via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. We'd love to. If you've got a take on any of these uh, these subject items, we'd love to hear your take. But welcome. Uh, great to have you here today. T squared. Says the puns here. I can just hear him say this. Oh, these puns. Um, T squared says Subway is primarily iceberg lettuce, and he's a he's a evidently a kale fan. It's the game to play. Live kale. Interesting. That's that, that's a new one. Maybe he's maybe home raised kale. I don't know. Um, Shelly's also gluten free. I bet we could have a whole like gluten free <laughs> supply chain conversation because you know that that has introduced so many new products and yeah. companies in the market. And Catherine finally. Oh, I love kale salad, she says, with homemade Caesar and roasted chickpeas. Uh, Catherine, I thought you were going to say roasted uh, croutons, but chickpeas ain't my thing. But hey. So what we've learned, I think what we're learning about Catherine, Scott, is that because she lives in a very small town, although in one of the most beautiful places in the world, in a very small town, and she doesn't like a lot of the restaurants there, (laughs) she has probably learned how to cook. Some really gourmet things for us. I bet. Well, and uh, this next comment, Greg and Kelly. So, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, and Greg, um, we're connected on LinkedIn, and we've enjoyed your perspective here. You know, going back a couple of years now, Greg. I think you're in the vegetable industry, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Greg says it's not just lettuce that's in shortage. All crops were hit hard. Next time at the store, look at your frozen vegetable section. Drought is a, is serious mm-hmm. and will impact. Your next year's crop. Good point. There. That is an excellent point. So now, so of course, we knew that it was coming for uh, for 
South America or, you know, the Southern Hemisphere and its production of produce. But we're seeing the same thing in the Northern Hemisphere, which will impact the crops for the next season out of the Northern Hemisphere, which also, of course, impact the Southern Hemisphere because they do import some from, uh, from us. And, you know, the orange crop in Florida was completely wiped out even before the, you know, the hurricanes that hit, um, they were, they had incredible problems with, I forget the name of it. It's some sort of blight that they okay. had. Well, all I know is that folks, you get, you get a nice piece of market intel here today because the best place ever, mom, I'm counting on you. Hopefully you're still with us <laughs> to get a sandwich is Pat's Sub Shop in Aiken, South Carolina. It's been around since the 60s, and it's a place to go. Their bread is is undeniable. Their Italian hoagies are absolutely extraordinary. So y'all check that out. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a local small business that's been thriving for, gosh, some 60 years now. So with that, before we hit the last article here today, um, Greg and Kelly, one of your favorite places, preferably like independent local small business, but what's one of your favorite places? I saw that image on the previous um, on this previous graphic. And folks, if you're listening, you can't see this like this gorgeous sandwich, this nice bread that we use as a backdrop for the whole lettuce uh, discussion. But it made me so hungry. So Greg and Kelly, Kelly, start with you. What's okay. one of your go-tos for a great sandwich? So we have a little, it's, I say farm stand, but it's, there's more to it than that. Like you actually go inside for one thing and it's open year round and it's a deli and it's meats and it's their own produce and it's fresh cheeses and things. And they have a sandwich counter and these sandwiches are incredible. I'm partial to the roast beef. That's my favorite, but they've got good chicken salad. It's Davidians in Northborough, Massachusetts. So if you're anywhere near this part of the state in my part of the country, definitely check them out. It's an awesome place to go. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, Greg? Uh, Great Harvest Bread Company. I'm pointing at it. I can't see it, but I know precisely where it is from here. Um, <laughs> it's, a co- it's a collective of, of wheat farmers who started Great Harvest Bread Company, where basically they sell you the wheat. You make oh bread. Gosh. Well, a very a very innovative buddy of mine decided bread wasn't enough, um, and started making sandwiches. And their sandwiches are spectacular. Really? Yeah. In fact, now I think if I have time, I'm going to run over there real quick and grab. Yes, their Italian. Yes, their Italian sandwich. Um, Love it. And it's super local. They may. It was kind of a franchisee thing, but I, I'm not sure that there are many, many stores out there of it. But the bread is unbelievable. To die for, okay. Unbelievable. Great Harvest Bread Company. Okay. Greg and Kelly, thank you all for playing along. Uh, your parting gifts uh, will be bestowed at the end of today's session. Um, okay. So let's let's move into the final. Uh, whenever I hear parting gifts, I remember like 1980s game shows. There was always parting gifts for everybody that played. Um so final story here today, uh, first time since 2020, U.S. factory activity is showing signs of contraction. So manufacturing activity data seems to show continued contraction in industry, according to the latest figures from the Institute for Supply Management's November 2022 report. Now, key indicator mm-hmm. focus on manufacturing activity dropped from October to November and the November numbers, which reflected here in this, in this chart, uh, are a new 30-month low. I think May 2020 is when 
Uh, they haven't been this low ever since uh, then. Mm. Executives from a couple of di- different industries, of course, you know what they're pointing to. Economic uncertainty, major factor in the manufacturing slowdown, but other factors include a shift in consumer spending. We've all heard about that. Maybe have been experiencing and driving that firsthand here uh, as cons- you know, moving from consumer goods to maybe things like travel. Also, strong dollar that's making U.S. goods much more expensive globally. So I want to start here with Kelly. Kelly, your thoughts around these numbers uh, related to manufacturing activity here in the States. Yeah, so I actually have two thoughts about this story. One is um, I was actually the ISM New York's business survey chair from 2016 to 2020. That's right. And oh. so I cannot stress how significant it is to have this month's numbers fall below the 50 mark. So it's a it's a month over month. It's a trend, not a level. And right. so the fact that it's moved into contraction territory it actually, in some ways, doesn't matter how much under that line it dips. I mean, obviously, a huge dip under the line means more than a, a small dip underneath. But the fact that it's officially in contraction territory is really significant. Um, my other thought on this, and it's so funny because it seems like the day in the particular survey, I feel like the news on the economy is all over the place. So on Friday, we got a better than expected jobs number. But now this comes out about things downturning in manufacturing. And then if you watch the stock market, it's a completely different picture altogether. So I find it interesting that depending on the piece of news, where the economy is and where it's heading seem to be very conclusive. But when you compare the pieces of news, like we could be anywhere. Things that are strong, you wouldn't expect them to be. Things that you wouldn't expect to be strong are, and they don't seem to line up. Excellent point. And and, and Greg, for you comment, to clarify what, Kelly was alluding to on the front end there, uh, the ISM um, manufacturer index, if it's above 50, it is it shows growth. And if mm-hmm. it drops below that line, as Kelly t- is talking about, it implies contraction. And one other point is um, other analysts, including a group of analysts at Wall Street Journey, uh, Journal put together, didn't project it to be as low as it was. I think eight-tenths of a point yeah. Uh, lowers what that number came in than than what a lot of these third party analysts uh, thought it would be. That's a huge miss considering we're yeah. talking about fractions of a percentage. And the fact that it put them over the line. So they expected right. slight growth month over month, and instead they got slight contraction. Greg, your thoughts here. And I, Kelly, I, for, I completely forgot about that. Uh, that's, I think when we first met, you, that was yeah. in your role and you were doing that, that uh, excellent reporting uh, and analysis there. Greg, your thoughts. Well, numbers are all over the place, as Kelly talked about. In fact, I was just looking up this ISM report that just came out um, on um, the first major indicators, right? So they're saying the production gauge jumped, new orders fell, employment barometer rose. I mean, all of that is is largely in contrast of what of what we we were just talking about on this ISM report. So. That confirms, Kelly, like you need it. Of course, we know you know that. But that confirms what Kelly is saying. But it also shows the mixed messages that a lot of this data is even showing the people who research and, and allegedly know a lot of this. So yeah. it's, it's a very tough environment to, um, to understand. And it has, um, you know, the other thing you have to think about also is there is a seasonal effect going on yeah. here. And they don't always seasonalize the numbers until after 
the season occurs, right? So anything that looks like sales increase could be because of the season. We saw some numbers in the last couple of weeks where um, um, uh, some, some sales numbers, you have to forgive me, the CPI sales numbers yep. actually went up, but largely, in fact, I would argue wholly because of inflation. So people are buying less, but spending more because the um, the unit volume went down by five and a half percent and and sales went up by one and a half percent, which is almost seven percent swing, meaning without inflation, sales would have actually been down seven percent. So it's uh, sorry. Yeah, sales would have been down seven percent because of the seven percent infl- inflation rate. So it's pretty substantial and pretty complex to analyze. And by the way, if you're feeling confused out there, don't. Because <laughs> even, if, hey, even if you are confused, you're equally as likely, I say this all the time, not an economist, but right every bit as often as they are. So you're equally as likely to be correct as any economist. And if you want to look back, I was just looking at an article that said, we're on the verge of a bear market, or sorry, bull market in April of this year. Yes. So nobody knows, gang. And these numbers are indicators and indicators only. But we really don't know what we don't know because we aren't measuring so much that impacts it. And furthermore, we've so manipulated the measures, again, for political expediency that unemployment doesn't even or unemployment and inflation don't even represent what they used to just eight or 10 years ago. Yeah. In fact, if you look at the underlying inflation numbers, instead of 7.7 or 9% or whatever it peaked at, it was actually around 16% it was huge. by the old me- measures. Okay. So we have to understand the one thing that the great philosopher and storyteller, Mark Twain said, there are lies, there are damn <laughs> lies, and then there are statistics. Yes. Well, the good news here is twofold. Number one, Folks, we don't require you to show your work here. Unlike your third grade math teacher, you can say whatever <laughs> you'd like to say. Uh, and secondly, speaking of Mark Twain, my favorite quote of all time, that someone doesn't learn what happens. I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember exactly. Someone doesn't learn what happens when you carry a cat by the tail other than by actually doing it and carrying a cat by the tail. So I completely butchered Mark Twain here today, but I love that quote. Um, all right. So Greg and Kelly. A lot of good stuff we walked through here today. We, we we have this has been a very holistic. I mean, we've had a little bit of fun with sandwiches. We've talked about the, <laughs> the sandwich supply chain. We've, we've right. ventured into solar panel and and bad actors and what some of the things that China and Russia and and others are doing. We've talked about legislation. We talked about a railroad strike yep. and what to look for there. Holy cow! Um, let's make sure, folks. Uh, Greg, one of our favorite series here, amongst other things that Kelly does. Kelly with Buyer's Meeting Point and Art of Procurement. Um, Dial P for Procurement has been a hit. Kelly, what's the latest episode all about? The latest episode is all about supplier diversity. Uh, we had our friends from Supplier IO. We had Eileen Bassam and we had Lois Iacker with us to talk about sort of the current state, how things have trended over time. And it's actually interesting, Greg, because earlier when you talked about putting things in place that focus on outcomes rather than uh, intent. 
that's very much what we're seeing in supplier diversity. You know, C-level executives are very excited, which is wonderful. And they're getting out there and making commitments and talking about it. But right. someone at the end of the day has to operationalize all this. And the challenges are enormous. And the gap between the vision and the promises and the results that are being operationalized are pretty large in some cases. So there's an excellent mix in the conversation that we had with them and also in the report that sort of underpins it, both inspirational things about the progress that has been made in the movement as a whole, and then also some very practical things that whether you're a supplier diversity manager in procurement or just someone with an interest in the program itself, things that you can start doing regularly to close that gap between the results mm -hmm. and the vision. Um, and we're gonna make it easy. So not speaking of this episode that Kelly's talking about, not only are we dropping the direct link, the easy listen link, we call it um, in the chat, but we're also uh, uh, dropping a link to the episode page, which is where you'll find, you can find links to the report that kind of served as the main vehicle for that discussion and a lot, a lot more, but a lot of good stuff there. Um, Greg, your final comment here, whether you want to touch on uh, the conversations that Kelly's been leading at Dial P or anything else we've touched on here today, folks need to leave this conversation with it rattling between their ears. Yeah, one, uh, follow Kelly Barner. That is one thing that you need to do. Uh, I, You will rarely find anyone who works so hard to find the truth, and I mean that in any kind of media worldwide. Uh, <laughs> Other than the X-Files, Gilly, uh yeah, too scary. I don't do yeah. scary truth. I only do like non-scary truth. <laughs> Scully and, and Mulder, other than Scully and Mulder, Greg. I never watched the X-Files. I know. Just don't say it. <laughs> I never, ever watched a single episode of the X-Files. I'm sorry. Um, so I can't attest to that. But I can attest to the fact that what Kelly does is she digs deep below the surface. Um, she provides both perspectives and has no political or personal agenda on these things. It is just the facts by this ma'am. And um, and she provides a ton of follow-up. We were just talking about how so many of these issues can fall out of yeah. the spotlight. Kelly has been talking about the rail strike forever and has yet a new perspective considering even before this, uh, this um, legislation was forced through. Um, she had a perspective on on how people in the industry felt about the rhetoric around this issue even prior to this. So it'll be very interesting to see how um, how all this shakes out. But yes, know that she is on it. And I there's mean, never a dull moment. That's the other great thing about supply chain, especially never. the way you write. I mean, the way you write makes even the dull seem interesting. <laughs> Still things, you know, like supply chain and procurement, stuff like that. <laughs> right. the, the truth is out there. Uh, and now I've got that theme song. Thank you to your it's both right uh, in my there. in my mind. Um, folks, uh, we've got a ton of resources in the chat. I definitely want to point out once again um, that white paper on optimizing your returns management. The our friends at Six River Systems. Uh, that is an interesting read as well as all the use cases that we talked about earlier. Also, let's share that Mark done. Twain quote. John Perry shared that because oh, there it is. Oh, good. Let's see here. Yes. Okay. Thank you, John. Great to see you. John says, <laughs> quotes Mark Twain, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. Thank you for rescuing my <laughs> my really awful attempt at paraphrasing. That's genius, though. Uh, and Shelly says, Kelly is an amazing researcher, and she does not shy away from tough 
subjects. Excellent point. And Shelly's no slouch because she's the one that brought me and encouraged me to do the story on the FedEx ground uh, potential ground strike, which didn't actually materialize. We had no Purple Friday. Okay. Uh, but so Shelly's also got her finger on the pulse of things in supply chain. Well, um, wonderful. Shelly, thanks for being here. John, um, uh, all the different folks that showed up here today. Uh, Catherine, of course, Leah Luton, Tom, uh, T-Squared, Greg, Greg, Greg Studer. I wonder if the R is pronounced. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Great, great, great. Well, welcome everybody. And Kawan, hope you'll, you'll make a regular habit of being with us here on the buzz. Also, on I Mondays. saw somebody from Stuttgart, Germany here who I didn't, you know, sometimes LinkedIn hides their identity. So thanks for dialing in from the center of automotive goodness, the home of Porsche and Mercedes, one of my okay. favorite stops <laughs> on the way to the black forest. Love it. Um, okay. Well, we got to call it a show at this point. Uh, so uh, big thanks to our production team, uh, Amanda, Catherine, Chantel, Clay, and many others. Thanks for doing what you do. Thanks to all of our attendees for being here and, and being a part of the ongoing active conversation with your uh, comments and your tags and um, all of what you uh, contribute. Greg and Kelly, always a pleasure to knock out these conversations with you both. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm sorry. Were we supposed to answer that? Thank you. I was just expecting you to roll right into the close. But you know what? Thank you for giving us a moment. And seriously, Scott, thank you. What you do for the industry and for us and for information is uh, truly commendable. Well, thank you. Information's power. But Kelly, I was looking for you to do a ta-da again, like you did on the front end. Oh. But uh, next, <laughs> cue, cue next time. <laughs> hey, um, also, big thanks to our friends over at Six River Systems. Folks, hey, there's a ton of information out there. Uh, there's great people like Kelly and Greg and many others all in the chat that are making it easier for you to find it. But you still got to. Uh, focus in on action, deeds, not words. So with that said, uh, big thanks for tuning in here today. Big thanks to uh, all of our uh, folks that showed up in the chat and brought it as always. Uh, special, Shelly gets the red star today. So Shelly, your name's on the board, red star beside. Appreciate everything you, you contributed. Uh, folks, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, bye. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.